Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 77. Today, we're going to start on a journey to find out who sold the farm. Right, Penny? We, we are starting on this journey, yes. Okay. <laughs> Remember I told you I don't like uh, unsolved mysteries. <laughs> so, spoiler alert. <laughs> Do you remember in the last episode, I said none of my mysteries are solved. <laughs> but here we go. All right. We're going to go down that road. <laughs> okay. But we are going to solve this mystery. Though. And you're going to learn something new. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but first... I've got wine. All right. All right. What you got? I've got um, a Cabernet Sauvignon from Argentina, from the Mendoza region of Argentina. It's called, um, it's from uh, Pasarisa, and it is, um, it's got a lot of blueberry, chocolate, and walnut. It's a medium body, um, absolutely delicious. We um, had some in my family over the weekend with some steak. It was delicious nice very good so we will put that up on our um on our website all right all right so today's episode is sponsored by newspapers.com break down genealogy brick walls with a subscription to the largest online newspaper archive did your ancestor disappear from vital records maybe they moved or got married newspapers.com can help you find them and tell their story Or have you ever had trouble figuring out how people tie into your family tree? Newspapers are filled with birth notices, marriage announcements, and obituaries. Items like these are a great resource for determining family relationships. On newspapers.com, you can explore more than 800 million newspaper pages from across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and beyond in just seconds. Their easy-to-use search feature lets you filter your results by date, location, a specific paper, and more. When you find something interesting, the newspapers.com clipping tool makes it a snap to share it with friends and family. You can even save it directly to your ancestry tree. For listeners of this podcast, newspapers.com is offering new subscribers 20% off a Publisher Extra subscription so you can start exploring today. Just use the code happy hour at checkout. So today I have a question for everyone. Have you taken the time to really look at and read those original documents that you've been amassing over time? I know I have a ton of documents from past research trips that are in the quote, to look at more carefully unquote file. And I'm sure you do as well, Amy. Um, I do. Especially especially from our uh, infamous Ohio research trip. Um, But it can really seem like a daunting task. And sometimes these documents can be long. They're filled with a lot of legal terms, which may or may not be important to your your research goal. Um, But let's look at what what happens when you do transcribe some of these documents. Um, And I have the last will and testament of Harvey A. Curtis, and I opened up a program called GenScriber and uploaded the document. So GenScriber is a free program that you can download onto your computer. And the, uh, when it opens up, 
uh, you can insert the document into the top half of the program and right below it is where you can type your transcription. And I find this to be very helpful uh, to use instead of going back and forth between pages or screens. When you have that original document right in front of you and your transcription that you're writing is right below you. And then you can save it um, as a Word document on your PC when you uh, it has the file save and you click it and it automatically makes it a, um, a Word document. Uh, so when you do this transcription, I recommend transcribing the entire document, all the legalese, everything that it says, and then after it's completed and saved, you can go back to that uh, transcription and make an abstract. And that's where you're going to get rid of all the unnecessary verbiage and leaving out all the um, and leaving in the important stuff. Good Lord, I almost said leaving out all the important <laughs> stuff. We do not want to do that. Um, I do want to note that you can also open Notepad uh, if you've got a, a Windows computer and, and have your documents side by side. I don't, it doesn't work as well for me. I like the top and bottom. The, the and I and I tried Notepad on. Uh, you know, making a long document, and that didn't that didn't work so well uh, for me. Side by side is better if you're going to do the Notepad. But GenScriber is a great free option for transcribing documents. So check it out. Anyway, in the will, he leaves. Uh, this is Harvey's will. He leaves everything to his wife Eliza, with specific instructions for his son Enos that he must stay on the farm and basically do whatever his mother tells him. So this will does not mention any of Enos's uh, other brothers or sisters. He has an older brother, William and Mark. Uh, Mark is a farmer and another brother, Milo, and two sisters, uh, Mary, who marries uh, Robert Newton, who is also a farmer, and Jane. And then there's a younger brother, Harvey, and a younger sister, Amanda. Well, none of these children are mentioned in this will, just Enos. Is Enos, no, is Enos your direct ancestor? Yes. And so he's like the middle son and he gets told. Yeah, and he's married at the time to a much oh. younger wife than he. Um, uh, yeah, and it's strange because you know how sometimes when you're looking up these wills to find your family and they'll list everybody but your direct Yes. Ancestor, yes. Usually, you know. yes. Usually, my ancestors left out. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's the way it is with me too. So here, it's uh, like the complete opposite. Um, Mine is the only one listed. <laughs> well, maybe he's very close to his parents, and so the dad knew that he would take care of the mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Harvey writes his will in 1864, mm -hmm. and in 1860, in the census. Uh, He's living with his wife, Eliza, his son, Enos, 24, Enos's wife, Adeline, who is 17, um, Harvey Jr., who is also 17, and um, then his daughter, Amanda, age 8, and Enos's son, Merritt, who is 5 months old. Merritt? By eight, yeah, Merritt. Just like my daughter. Yeah. All right. Um, by 1870, Enos, the son who is supposed to stay and the farm and run it is living with Adeline, her sister, and his four children in Traverse City, Michigan. So they have uh, left the farm. So they left so Ohio. I, so they were in Ohio, they right? Left, they just <laughs> evacuated. Yeah. So what happened to this farm? What happened to his mother? Um, 
Well, Eliza and her daughter Amanda also turn up in Traverse City in 1870, as are all of Enos's siblings except the two oldest, William and Mary. And what happened to the farm? So I'm curious as to, you know, when they left, what, what did they do with the farm? So in the 1880 census, William is listed as a farm laborer on his, on his brother-in-law's farm in Grafton. So I'm wondering, if, is this the same farm? Uh, Mary and her husband um, maybe bought them out. Uh, oh, so you, think, look, so you think one of the children bought out the farm in Ohio when they all left maybe. for Michigan? I mean, that uh -huh. would make sense. They right. all live there yep. in, in Grafton. Right. So between 1860 and 1870, the value of Mary and her husband's farm doubled. So I'm thinking maybe they did buy the farm. Maybe, you know, I didn't notice them next door in the census. So, mm -hmm. you know, that would seem kind of, or maybe they're just running two farms. But I, I wanted to find out. So in order to do that, I'm going to have to dig through some land records. And, and, you know, we love land records. We are going to do a podcast one day on land records. <laughs> they are so helpful. A good one. A good one. Yes. <laughs> um, but the land sales in Lorain County, Ohio, and they are on Family Search. They're all digitized, but there's no index. So that means going through all the records between 1864 and 1870, page by page. Um, but I, I knew I had to narrow this down. I had to narrow this down. Like there's, that's a lot. There's, there was a lot of pages and a lot of books. So in the 1870 census where Enos and his children are listed up in Traverse City, I looked at how uh, their ages and how old was the youngest child up there. And that was also my direct ancestor. And the youngest one is Grace, and she's two. And it lists that she is born in Ohio. So I know, um, you know, then I can kind of, I can kind of narrow it down. So now know you know. Her. So now you know where about what in eighteen sixty-seven to eighteen seventy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's where the, when they sold the farm and that's when they moved. Yeah, so I I know her birth date, which is December twenty seventh, eighteen sixty seven, and I know the date the census was taken, August twenty third, eighteen seventy. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm putting it okay, December twenty seventh. They're not going to be moving right away. I would hope not. As soon as after she's born, I don't <laughs> think they're moving. So I'm at least looking at January sixty eight to August. 1870. So I've narrowed it down quite a bit. Less, less than three years that you still have to go page by page by page. Yes. Okay. Um, and it took me four days. <laughs> not, not just sitting, you know, we can't all just sit there and page through. Plus, Family Search likes to freeze up like every 100 and 150 true. pages. They that do. You go through and I know. It's so irritating. Check out, yep. check back in, you know. Um, but yet, I, I am so grateful that they have this up there. <laughs> I can't complain too much. Uh, so I I go for four days looking for this, and um, did you find I it? I finally find I did. Woo -woo. I found the, the the deed where Eliza sells the farm to a John Clinnett. Who's that? And it says up the same place. 
for $2,200 on April 28th, 1868. So my ancestor Grace was four months old when they wow. moved to Michigan. Can you imagine? Sometime, yeah. And then sometime uh, before 1880, they're back in Ohio. They really? Moved they moved back. Yeah. They moved back. But I will tell you something interesting. When I was looking through those deeds, I came up with a deed for one of the Preston uh, brothers, one of... Um, Adeline Curtis, Enos's wife, Adeline, her maiden name is Preston. I've mm -hmm. talked about them before. Yes. Um, New York Prestons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So his, um, Anson is her dad. Mm -hmm. He is never in this area, Grafton. He goes to Finley, uh, okay. Ohio. Right. But his brother is in Grafton at some point and sells property and moves to Traverse City, Michigan. So. Really? <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of fun to see how this family is migrating. And then, but like I said, she, uh, Adeline and Enos are back in Ohio in the Finley area by 1880. So I wonder if they wanted to move back to be closer to her parents. Hmm. Um, he's no longer farming. He's a carpenter at that point. Um, that's just a guess. So I just, I, I thought that was interesting to kind of follow this migration of this family and um, that is interesting and their, and their jobs and whatnot because my ancestors also left Ohio um, they were in Medina County and in 1850 about 1860 I believe they're up in Michigan as well and it was backbreaking work in Michigan to clear property with just a horse and sawing down the trees and it was incredible amount of work that they did um, and I'm still looking for death records for them in 1870s and 1880, but, um, I'm wondering if they went back to Ohio now. That gives me an idea to, to check in Ohio again for death yeah. records, but, um, they moved back. so they moved back. Yeah. But yeah, that had to be backbreaking and, and cold and hard work. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump back to, uh, the idea of transcribing documents again too. And, um, <clears throat> so I've got... I have a lot of records from France, from 1800s all the way back to the mid 1600s. A lot of them um, I can't I can't read. I, first of all, I can't read French, but they're very they're very illegible, and you know the script from that time period. You really have to take some classes or really diagnose the, the script writing back then to understand what the words are or even the language at the time and the area that my family was from went from French to German, you know, back and forth. And, you know, so I have to know which one I'm looking at. However, I've got, uh, I found one that I, I thought I could work with. And I just thought this would be, this would be great if y'all have some records that are in another language, um, or, you know, uh, well, yeah, in another language. So I pulled up the document. I put it into GenScriber so I could see it while I copied it. And um, let's see, after I got it all translated as much as I could, there were maybe one or two words that I couldn't figure out. I copied that and I put it into Google Translate. Brilliant. And then, That's brilliant. Yeah, translate it, translates it from French to English, and there it was. And it said, I bless the marriage of Jacob Benoit, son of Joseph Benoit, and Suzanne, and Suzanne, I'm sorry, Marie Suzanne Weiss, daughter of Jean Rudolph Weiss, of the said place at 
and there's a word in there I don't know, of St. Marie, uh, the 8th of August, 1786. So that was perfect. I did already know the, the parents' names of this. I've, I've pretty much done all this research, but I, always, I wanted to see if there was anything in that record that maybe I missed because some of the later ones will list phenomenal amounts of information. They'll have everybody who's in the wedding party, what their jobs are, where people lived, just a wealth of information. But this one was a was a, a quick short one that I just wanted to try it out and see how it went. And it worked really well. Um, another fun thing you can do is when you have these dates from long ago to see what else happened, what, what else was happening in the world at that same time. And using the website on this day, I put in August 8th, 1786, and found out that Jacques Belmont and uh, Michel Picard are the first to climb to the top of Mount Blanc on that day that my ancestors got married. Wow. And also, U.S. Congress unanimously chooses the dollar as the monetary unit. (laughs) (laughs) Not too many exciting things, but I thought it was kind of fun (laughs) to plug those in there. Um. I wanted to do a follow-up on on something because I was talking about the my Y-DNA and finding a match not too long ago. And I just uh, joined um, a webinar that uh, Diane Souther did. And I know we've had her on for yeah. a guest yep. before. And I was listening to one of hers. Uh, she was doing a sp- sp- specific one on um, DNA and was going over the Y-DNA y- and whatnot. And I learned something new, and it wasn't good for me. But in the uh, Y-DNA match, yes, the Y-DNA match, it'll show you steps, um, how many steps uh, you are related to the person. Remember, I have one match to my right, dad, yes. one Burke match. Right. And we have four steps. She said, if you are more than three steps, you are related very far back. So... I was very sad to hear that news on that webinar because this person and my dad are four steps. No. So, yep. No. Yep, 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 yep. Oh. But it's still, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still like, okay, but they're both still, we're still in the same area. It's the of. only match that you have. You got to hang on to that match. You got to so hang gotta, on to it. Yeah. I gotta work a little harder, but I. Um, oh, that's, well, that's interesting. I'm gonna go, then I'm gonna go back on my uh, my two boys, um, their um, Y DNA, and I'm gonna see what matches they have. So yeah, yeah. But speaking like of that, I do. We do need to give a shout. I need to give a shout out to Sarah for emailing us. Um, she is. Um, she's got Lay uh, Lays from um, the Lay family from Kentucky. She says she's got them on both sides of the family which may not be too unusual coming from Kentucky, mm-hmm. but um, it's kind of weird because we, she doesn't seem to be related at all to uh, my, um, my um, in-laws, the Lay family who are also from Kentucky. Um, mm. But um, she had a great um, description of, you know, and um, um, information about her lays in Kentucky and they're from completely different County. Um, but, um, and I did when I went on to the Y DNA project, the lay Lee Lee families, yeah. um, in family tree DNA. And I did not see any of 
of her people in that um, study. So, um, you know, hopefully maybe she's got some um, male lays um, that um, would be willing to take a DNA test, uh, Y DNA test, and add the, them to that um, lay Lee um, Y DNA group project because that could yeah. be interesting to see where they where they do um, match up. Um, mm -hmm. But none of her people matched up to um, my in laws. So, but thank you for yeah. for thank you for giving that information. It would have been really cool if uh, they didn't match up. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I'm gonna well, I'm gonna check both my boys uh, to see if uh, they're more than three steps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting. That, that was really interesting. I, I learned that, and I and they she of course offers um, uh, autosomal DNA classes, uh, a series, and uh, a Y DNA series that you can do like a six week course. And I'm really thinking about I need to I need to do that. You, you um, do. You you definitely do. I, I do, so you don't have to, right? Well, yeah. Um, well, that's why I was thinking that, too. <laughs> you read my mind. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Um, I do have another little book review, though, for, for y'all, if you're just uh, loving some genealogical mysteries, whatever. I am. This tell me. Tell is, me. Tell me. Okay. So this one is The Forever Witness, How DNA and Genealogy Solved a Cold Case Double Murder by what? Ed Humes. Yeah. And it's... Um, is this reality? Genetic, is this reality? It is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's a genetic genealogy mystery involving a cold case from 1987 in Vancouver, Washington, Detective Sharp is running out of options in this case of Tanya Van, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Seilenborg or, um, and Jay Cook, two young lovers on an overnight trip that they would never return from. And at the same time, Cece Moore is starting out her career in genetic genealogy, and the book not only takes a look at the case and how it was solved, but what does it mean to use DNA in cases like this, and how does it pertain to us and our privacy? And Ed Humes is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and journalist, and it was it was fascinating, fascinating book. I love uh, that process. And if if you all like shows that you know, just crime shows or forensic shows and, and whatnot, and you love forensic stuff, Amy, I do. Do it every, do it every day. Yeah. Um. This was this was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. All right. And we put a link to it up on our on our. Um, website cool. as well. I want to read it. No, I do want to read it. I want to read it. So cool. I also want to give a shout out to um, our biggest fans in the UK and Ireland, possibly our only fans in the UK and Ireland. Um, I had dinner last week with Maeve, Haley, Ryan and Danny. So thanks guys for a wonderful dinner and thanks for listening. And until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly. And never drink around genealogical documents.